You're listening to The Simply Flawsome Show, a podcast designed for you to listen, learn, and leverage. Please welcome your host, Zoe Turner. We are now on episode 10 of season two, which celebrates incredible women. And I have got a very, very special lady to speak to today. I'm a huge fan of her work, and I'm sure after this podcast, you will agree that what she does is incredible. She not only transforms lives, but she helps create them. She's a fertility specialist who will empower you to reclaim your natural fertility. And her results speak for themselves as she's helped countless women fall pregnant. She has a huge online presence and thousands of dedicated followers on social media, of whom 70,000 women have taken part in her natural fertility program. She's also an author. She's featured in various publications. She holds a Master of Science in Medicine, Reproductive Health, and Genetics, and is currently undertaking further clinical research at Harvard University to widen her focus and expertise. So I honestly couldn't think of a better guest to have on today. So without further ado, please welcome Gabrielle Rosa to the podcast today. Hey Zoe, how are you? Thank you for having me. Hi Gabby. Thank you so much for your time today and for coming on to the podcast. Really appreciate it. So first of all, Gabby, what is your mission And for the listeners at home who haven't come across you before, will you please take us back and how did you come about to do the incredible work that you do today? Oh, well, thank you. Well, actually, first, first of all, I, I, as you were, as you were uh, introducing me, I realized that, wow, we've actually surpassed the 70,000 mark a while ago. We've now reached over 115,000 women. Wow. couples around the world in more than 100 countries with this work, which has been absolutely incredible. And I think that the the place where I began was a very utopic, you know, um, student of natural medicine and I wanted to make the world a better place and I wasn't quite sure exactly how I was going to do that and, or, you know, what my first steps would be. So I just went about and trained to become a naturopath. So that's my original training. And uh, I graduated and I started to work in that in that field and recognizing literally from even before I graduated that I I wanted to do something that was very focused and very specialized. I've always wanted to, you know, I'm I'm very much into mastery. Mastering things for me is a, is a big, is a, is, is a big focus in my life. And it has been for many, many years now. And, uh, and so I decided that specializing in what I was passionate about was certainly going to be um, an area of my focus. And so I started, decided that fertility was going to be it. And mostly because, you know, to be honest, I just loved babies. And, uh, and I thought, what a wonderful way of contributing to the world, you know, bringing healthy children into the world. And in the beginning, that was pretty much the focus. It was um, helping couples with optimizing their health prior to a conception attempt, really on, in a preconception type of way. And as I began that work, it was very clear to me very quickly that that was a a place where I could make a difference. But there were lots of people that were coming to me who were experiencing difficulties taking home a healthy baby. You know, either whether it was they were having experiencing difficulty conceiving 
or they were experiencing difficulty in, uh, you know, a recurrent miscarriage or whatever it was at the time. And so I then decided to, to, I started to work more with couples in that arena as well. So couples who were trying to conceive, but also couples who wanted to optimize their, their uh, chances of having the healthiest possible baby. And it, it really, it was a flow on effect from there, you know, where I started to get better and better results with couples who were having difficulty. And I also realized that often as much as couples who wanted to do preconception preparation work to, to their health and, and, you know, being as healthy as they could be to bring a, a healthy baby into the world, the couples who were most committed, to be honest, were the people who were having difficulty. And they were most committed in, in the way of, you know, they, they would do the things consistently that were required of them to really optimize their chances. And, and for me, that is something I love. You know, I love working with people who basically are focused and committed to reaching an outcome, achieving a goal, and that's then how I started to focus much more on that patient demographic. Yeah. And, and that's how we got to where we are today, where literally we work with couples who have been, you know, trying to overcome infertility and miscarriage when other treatments have failed for over two years. That's typically what we help now. So, yeah, it's been a long journey. And here we are. Thank you. Thank you. How, did you experience any personal challenges when it came to having children yourself? Look, you know, what was fascinating is that I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome at the age of 18. And I had very regular cycles for many years. I had, you know, and the way that I was, of course, given that diagnosis was over the phone by a 60 something year old doctor to an 18 year old, you know, female. So, and literally what he said was, um, after I did all the tests, actually, I went to him because I hadn't I hadn't had a period for six months, and it was the first time that I hadn't had a period for a very, you know in, in a long time. Um, my periods were kind of irregular, but quite consistent in, in in its irregularity. You know, it would it would basically I would have a period every four to six weeks, and it was kind of consistent in that. And then this one time, my periods just disappeared for six months, and I was like, this is not quite um, as normal as I would like to see it. And at the time, I was lucky because I used to work with a group of obstetrician gynecologists. And so I pulled aside one of the gynecologists one day and asked her, I said, hey, can you tell me, is this normal? What, you know, like I've done a pregnancy test, I'm not pregnant. And she says, look, it's, you probably need an appointment. And so I went to somebody else that I didn't work with. I didn't feel quite comfortable, you know, going to any of the doctors that I worked in the same practice with. But um, I went to another doctor and um, he ran some tests. I arrive at, in his office and I will never forget, I, I explained what my concern was or what my issue was. And the very first thing he said, and I said, look, I've done a pregnancy test. I know that I'm not pregnant. And he's like, uh, well, everyone's pregnant until proven otherwise. I'm like, okay. I'm sure that I'm not. And so he then recommended that we do some tests. We did. He says, call and uh, get the results. And then that's when he dropped the, you know, very interesting line of you have polycystic ovarian disease and you're probably never going to have children. And that's how I found out that I had PCOS, you know. It was uh, nothing more, nothing less. And I... For many years, thought in the back of my mind, wow, am I ever going to be able to have children? That was a, a big consideration. And 
it was one that didn't concern me too much until I decided that, okay, well, I actually think that I might want to. And it took me a while to get my cycles back in order, to back, get it back to normal. But I applied pretty much, you know, everything that I teach my patients to do. And we did that, my husband and I, for a period of time. And I was very able to conceive naturally and overcome uh, PCOS twice and two healthy boy, baby boys, which was wonderful. So, yeah, you could say that I certainly did have some challenges, but I think because of what I knew, it was made a whole lot easier yeah. than women who, you know, I mean, 50% of women of the reproductive age suffer from PCOS and that is the number one cause of infertility in women of the reproductive age. So it's a big, you know, it's a, it's a big problem for many women out there. Thank you. It's interesting. Um, why do you think conventional medicine is, is failing women? Um, you, you know, just going back to what you said then about the doctor saying to you that you'd never be able to have children. Um, so many people hear that, so many women, so many couples hear that from the doctors who they look up to and who they believe. And, you know, when you start to believe in something, you know, we all know that what the mind expects to happen tends to happen. It doesn't become a reality. It becomes a reality. So, you know, just the, even the terminology, the language that the conventional doctors are using can be quite damaging to, to individuals if they don't look at alternative methods. So why do you think that that the traditional approach isn't working as a whole? Look, I'll be honest, and it's, a, it's an interesting question. Um, I'm currently doing a, a master's in public health at Harvard University, and the, the thing about my approach is that I am very, very science-focused. And, you know, evidence base is a very important part of what we do. And obviously, I believe that we have the success rate. I mean, our program has a 78.15% success rate where everything else hasn't worked. I believe that we have the ability to, to do that kind of level of work because we leverage science and evidence. Mm -hmm. And there is no going back to the days where, you know, <laughs> um, there was, a, there was a potion that you could take and or that you were offered and that was the solution to all of, you know, your problems, whatever they were. So here's my take on this. And I think that in every profession there are incredible professionals that do incredible work and then there are others who don't, right? And not so much because they're not great at what they do because they don't have the people skills to actually be able to communicate things in a way in which people respond in for their highest good, right? And I think that there is a huge distinction that needs to be made between that aspect of medicine and medicine itself, right? So I think healthcare in general is broken. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think that, you know, there is a huge, there's a lot to be said for the fact that you know, when, when we talk about the cost of medicine and we, when we talk about cost effectiveness in particular and the cost of treating a disease versus the cost of preventing a disease is the same, that is where our problem begins, you see, because what happens is that in medicine, 
that what we what we value is essentially the solution to a problem as opposed to the prevention of a problem okay and it, you know i've taken cost effectiveness you know at, in harvard at harvard so i can say that this is very much how this the healthcare is measured it's mm. very much by the, the perspective that you know if it costs you x number of dollars to prevent a disease and it costs you x number of dollars to treat that disease yeah. what we prioritize is the treatment of the disease because ultimately one why spend money in advance if you don't have to is essentially how we look at it two what is it that you know if there is a person right now who has the disease versus a person who will develop the disease at some point in the future isn't it more isn't it an ethical consideration that we are going to utilize that resource in treating that person who is being affected right now as opposed to utilizing that resource to treat the person who is you know going to be affected some years down the track so my view on this is that it's not that people are doing the wrong thing is that as a healthcare uh, in in terms of healthcare we are we value we're valuing things in a way that is not conducive to the highest good that we could be deriving from the investment of those dollars at the outset right so of course prevention is better than cure if you can prevent someone from developing diabetes in the first place as opposed to preventing someone or preventing someone from dying from the symptoms of diabetes of course the prevention of that disease in the first place is going to ensure that that person has much better quality of life in the long term right but at the moment what we what we um, what we value in healthcare is actually treatment as opposed to prevention and that is what gets into the equation and and also that's also what causes many conflicts of interest and then you add other perspectives to this that you know if you actually have someone who is sick you can sell them medicine mm. right or you have someone who is not um, in their optimum health optimum fertility whatever it is you can put them through treatments that will be revenue generating yeah. then the question thing in a second what are we actually what are we actually going to do I was thinking about that yesterday actually um you know I, I was thinking about cancer and chemotherapy and you know how a lot of people know that chemotherapy does actually kill you and you know it, it it's good for the short term but you know it's it, it's not really great for the for the long term and, and a lot of it is to do with obviously money and like you say revenue and I was kind of com making that kind of comparison really with IVF and I'm just wondering you know is there a vested interest from in the medical profession to um to not really you know the conventional medicine to not really educate themselves on kind of the you know more natural approaches because you know it would cost you know them a huge amount of money Look, there are many paradigms colliding in those conversations, you see, and that's the difficulty because here's, here's the thing. Industry is obviously um, remunerated by creating products, chemicals, things, consumables, right, that we can consume, that we can convenience, you know, make our life more convenient. There's all of those factors that essentially we value and we pay for 
right? On one end, those things will have a positive effect, a negative effect, or a net effect. Typically, a net effect relates to a, a, a negative effect down the track. But we don't we don't live our lives counting all of those positive, negative, and and neutral effects. We just kind of go, okay, well, this is convenient. Therefore, I'm going to choose this over something else. And all those choices, at some point, they will translate into or equate to a result down the track. And that might be disease, right? It might be disease. And so, yes, there is there is a lot on both sides of that equation. I think that there is no win-win argument in this in this situation because, you know, in the same token that we could say that medicine is failing women, we could say that an unregistered, you know, and uh, and kind of um, de-standardised natural medicine kind of professional side of this equation can also imbalance that yeah. and, and is also having a negative effect not only on women but just in people in general. Mm. So I don't think the answer is one or the other and that's really my paradigm. You know, that's where I come from. It's that I'm not going to choose. Why not have the best of both worlds, right? I'm not going to choose one or the other. Of course, within that, we want to choose the best possible professionals that we can access and that we that we can choose to support us in that process. And, of course, having those professionals who will have both, you know, sides of of the equation and who will be trained in both areas of course is going to be preferable to you know choosing one or the other and I think the understanding is as well I mean this is a it's a kind of a long process now one of your philosophies is to act pregnant now to get pregnant later which basically you know takes away the whole instant gratification thing of like you know just you know, going to your, you know, your traditional doctor and, you know, trying to get the process done within like a month or so. But, you know, I guess I was listening to um, to you talk yesterday and you were saying that really you need to be preparing the body for about eight months beforehand um, to, to have a successful pregnancy if someone's experienced fertility problems. Is, is that right? Well, you know, it depends on the case, but what I was talking about specifically in terms of that is the fact that egg maturation, you know, the female egg mm. goes through a process in order for it to actually be ovulated. We are born with all the eggs we'll ever have. And so what happens is that those eggs mature over time and each cycle we have a recruitment of a pool of eggs that gets prepared and, you know, stimulated so that it can be ready for one or you know sometimes two or more can be ready for ovulation typically it's one but what happens is that from primary from primordial follicle which is the follicle that we're you know the eggs that we're born with to primary follicle takes four months or approximately four months from primary follicle to ovulatory follicle it takes another four months so in terms of biology, you know, often when we talk about fertility, we think that we can just have the silver bullet that's going to give us the outcome that we want when we're struggling to conceive or keep a pregnancy to term, which is whatever it is that it may be, but that's going to give us that, that result instantaneously or within that cycle that we want to be pregnant. What we see for our patients, what life demonstrates, and certainly 
what we observe in terms of the patients that we see in our clinic is that they've often tried all of those things. You know, they've done multiple failed cycles of IVF, ICSI, you know, you name it, lots of different types of treatments, even natural treatments that had failed. And so what happens is that once you go through uh, lots of different types of therapies and, and strategies and you continue to fail through all of those, it becomes harder not only to think that you will succeed right through anything, but also it becomes actually physically harder to conceive. At the same time, and this is the other side of the same coin, is that if you don't put in the effort that is required to optimize your health as, in the best possible way that you can, then you're going to be limiting your chances and your resources to be able to create the outcome that you want to anyway, right? So again, it's the dichotomies of life, you know? It's like people say, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. But the truth is that... There are those positive effects, negative effects, and neutral effects. Often people want to have a positive outcome with lots of neutral and negative input being put into that equation. The truth is we know the, in the overall balance of the universe, right, that doesn't happen. There is cause and effect, there's action and reaction. And so what happens is that a reaction or an outcome or a current result is simply merely the outcome of the the, the actions that preceded that, right? So as much as we might want to hack biology, it's never going to happen, right? Because in like just playing universal speak, right, we know it's action and reaction, it's action and consequence, right? And so that's where we, that's what we're dealing with. You know, this is no different than that very simple concept, complex concept, but, you know, we can kind of, um, simplify it in this term. Very important that. Just going back to, thank you for that. Just going back to what you were saying earlier about science. A lot of your work is based in science. And um, I mean, that's fantastic because that makes it so much more credible. I follow, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Joe Dispenza. He, he's where he heals, heals the body with the mind. And he's recently got huge he's been doing his work for many 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 years but it's because a lot of his research is based in science um a lot of people are tending to um to think yeah this is actually quite credible it's not just some kind of natural kind of hippie woo woo thing mm, absolutely and look you know at the end of the day that's that's essentially why we gather data mm -hmm. right it's a there is a there is a meme that always makes me laugh is you know in god we trust everyone else must bring data and uh and that's very much what this is about because you know it's only by the aggregation of that data that we can see what actually works right and if it works in this kind of population are they different in some way to another population and so we need to be asking those questions as well um, in terms of you know when we try something or when we're about to try something let's say for example we want to go down the IVF path well okay that's great but how are the people who go through IVF different to the people who decide that they're going to optimize their health and improve their chances of conception to begin with the reality of what I see is that there is a huge opportunity for crossover in implementing optimal health and self-care in 
the standard therapy and standard care right now. It's And it certainly does decrease the number of cycles that one needs in order to conceive. In fact, tomorrow I, I do an episode every week, Ask Gabriella Rosa is the name of, of these live episodes, and, and I've started um, – the, the talk that you're talking about right now was the egg quality talk that um, that I did last week. And next week, I'm actually doing one on how to improve your chances of IVF and ICSI working. Because what happens is that often we think that we are recommended to go down a certain path and we think that that is the whole solution. What I see for my patients in particular and what I see for people who have been struggling for a long time is that if that was the only part of the answer, every single IVF cycle would yield a baby every single site because the second that you put an egg and a sperm together you should have a baby therefore when that doesn't happen you really need to start questioning what are the obstacles here what are the things that are getting in the way what is it that needs to be done differently in order for this to work in the best possible way so you know it's it's about questioning the unquestioned to really get to a different outcome, you know, like Einstein said, there's no way that we're going to get a different result by doing the same action over and over and over again, right? And so we need to really dig deeper and, and figure out, okay, given that this is the case, this assumption that I've made, this hypothesis that this is the way that I'm going to get pregnant, this is the, the way that I'm going to, you know, what I have to do in order to get there. If life is demonstrating that clearly that is not the way, we then need to start looking at, okay, well, what, what else is there? What else in the way here that I need to look at that perhaps I haven't yet? What are the most common questions that you get asked, Gabby? Wow. Gosh, you know, having, having run events for over 115,000 people, <laughs> I promise you that there are questions. There aren't many questions that I don't get asked. But I think that these questions in terms of how to improve, you know, female fertility, how to improve egg quality, how to improve sperm, how to improve the, the chances of taking home a healthy baby, how to decrease the risk of miscarriage. You know, all of those questions, they are very, very popular questions that are asked very frequently. The answer in, you know, the top level is always going to come down to what I always say, which you've alluded to previously, which is act pregnant now to get pregnant later. Because what does that mean? Well, just to put it very simply, you know, for the people listening in who perhaps haven't heard me talk about this before or, or even who have and are still a little bit confused about that question, you know, what is it to act pregnant now to get pregnant later? Well, very simply put, you know, both fertility is a team sport, right? It really is categorically a 50-50 equation. People don't just conceive on solo reproduction despite the fact that they might actually approach that. Uh, that task of having a baby on their own, they're still going to need another gamete. Right? They're still going to need their, either an egg or a sperm. And so in order to, and we also know that in terms of the egg, the egg has to do a lot of work to address the um, genetic, you know, uh, I guess abnormalities within a sperm when fertilization occurs. If that egg is already struggling a little bit or if it doesn't have as much energy as what would be ideal, then of course it's going to decrease the chances of that pregnancy moving forward and, and, and happening in the first place. So one of the things, the very first thing that I tell all of my patients and certainly my couples who we treat is that the male often in, in standard therapy and standard care we really neglect the participation and the input that the male has in this equation. They are just as important and it is just as vital to have them 
be as healthy as they can possibly be as it is for the woman because in any in any given day uh, you know the the way in which this whole um wonderful chaotic and yet perfectly balanced um, thing that we call dance, that we call conception occurs, is going to be 50% because of the male, 50% because of the female. So within you right now, no matter what, you already have 50% of that little baby that you want to create, right? And so what happens is let's, with the gentleman listening in, let's just um, just indulge me for a moment. Imagine if for a second you could be pregnant, Right. Imagine. I know that the, the population of the world will probably decrease slightly <laughs> over time. Could be good for climate change. <laughs> Just joking, gents. I know you're tough. Um, but you know, men getting pregnant would be a different thing for sure. Um, but in saying that, you know, imagine if you were pregnant right now. Let's, let's just indulge me for a little moment here. If you could be. What does that mean? You know, like what are the things that you would immediately, you know, as women we, we know instinctively almost, right, even if we have not been pregnant yet uh, or have been pregnant before, instinctively we know if we're protecting an embryo, if we're protecting a baby, there are things that we're going to start doing or that we're going to stop doing immediately, right? And here's the thing, the time to start and stop doing those things is actually in the 120 days to 240 days of preconception preparation where we're preparing the cells that are going that are 50% of that equation to be the healthiest they can be because those cells are going to be the the you know I often say that a child's health is the lowest common denominator of both partners you know both prospective parents health at the time of conception so if we're really looking at doing the very best that we can, not only to increase our chances of conception, but increase the chances of keeping a healthy pregnancy to term, and of course, delivering a healthy baby, that's how we begin. And that is the importance of acting pregnant now to get pregnant later. So we can improve and, and optimize every one of those steps that are along the path of wanting to get pregnant, you know, where you ha initially have that thought in your mind that, I would like to be pregnant, I'd like to be a mum or a dad and I want to have a baby, to the actual end result of doing it, right? That is very much, it begins, first of all, in that thought. And then, of course, the actions that must follow in order for that to occur are going to be very important. But that is why I often say, in fact, it's one of my primary teachings, that acting pregnant now to get pregnant later is going to be the way that you need to not only get pregnant but also keep a healthy pregnancy to term or at least do your very best you know to to improve to to change the odds in your favor okay thank you let's talk about age and fertility do you think fertility is age related and is it possible for women over 40 to fall pregnant yeah, it's a great question. And, and you know, there's lots of, of our patients who basically prove over and over and over again that it is possible and that prove that there are many things that can be done irrespective of, you know, dim, dim prognoses that are given. You know, so basically a doctor may say, and in fact, I, I have many stories where patients come to me and they say, well, you know, my doctor told me, three different doctors, three different clinics told me that I would never have a baby uh, with my own eggs, that I would need donor egg or I would need adoption or whatever else, you know, that was required. And, you know, people go through, they do all the things that they need to do and, and they go ahead and end up conceiving naturally and have, have a baby. In fact, we, I started last year 
I decided to um, to start a, a, a storyboard basically on Instagram, Gabriella Rosa Fertility, where people share their stories, that you know, how they've implemented the recommendations that we give them and they share their stories of how long they have been trying to conceive or what they have gone through and, and you know, what happened to them. And there are many stories in there, but this is one that always comes to mind because this is essentially what I see, you know, women who are 40 or near 40 being told that, no, your eggs are no good, you're past the use by date, whatever it is, right? And then we start to act as if that's never going to be possible and not give as much focus or attention to the things that we can actually do Gabby, that will ab- increase sorry for interrupting what about the women that are like in the mid 40s like 46 well, look, 47 yeah look that's always going to be you know of course there are the 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 miracle cases of women who conceive naturally with their own eggs and have beautiful babies you know and in fact when i was um when i was very early on in my career i remember um whilst I was working with the, the group of obstetrician gynecologists that I used to see, you know, one woman came, came to us. She was, she was basically telling me, you know, I'm so ready to have a hysterectomy. I've got fibroids. They're growing. They're really bothering me. I've, you know, my, my stomach has grown so much. She was 51. She had a seven-year-old son. And she goes into the appointment with the doctor and, you know, set, heart set on having a hysterectomy and comes out of that appointment seven months pregnant, wow. right? Uh, clearly not planned, right? And uh, and so, does it happen? Yes, it does. But is it the common that we the common thing that we see in our society in the day to day? No, because you see, if you look at in a, in an evolutionary uh, perspective, right? We basically at thirty six, if all went well, we were grandparents, right? If we had our children or a child at eighteen, and you know, most of our most of our parents, grandparents started much earlier than that. But if we had our, our, our child at 18 and they had their child at 18, well, guess what? 36, you're a grandparent, right? Of course, that, you know, there would be subsequent children there and, you know, all of those kinds of things. And there are many of the, those people, those stories, you know, like I have my grandmother who had my first, my last uncle who happens to be a couple of years older than me at over 45, Right, so these things did happen, absolutely. But are they the norm? Can I? Is, can I? So, sorry to. Can I ask you a quick question? Um, is is it true? Someone mentioned this to me the other day, and I had absolutely no idea. And I thought, if I knew this, then it may have. Um, I might not be in the situation that that I'm in now. But is it true that you take after your mother when it comes to menopause? There is, a, there is an aspect of truth to that because genetics do play a role in when women actually, uh, you know, become, become menopausal. But this is the whole story. The whole story is that it's not always to do with the number that you are, uh, whether you will conceive or not. And that's where we talk about those obstacles to fertility, those minor factors that I was talking about, because age has many factors that are associated and the reason that age plays a role is because, you know, obviously there's more um, DNA uh, mistakes in replication of the egg. There are factors that accumulate over time that makes it more difficult for the body to actually do what it needs to do naturally. It's that, it doesn't mean that it's not absolutely possible, but it also doesn't mean that it's easy, right? In terms of having an egg, you see, 
five years ago, even 10 years ago, when, certainly when I started this work more than 20 years ago now, right, there was no such thing as you want to have a baby, you're over 45 and you had the option of doing donor egg, for example, right? In the last five to 10 years, it has become something almost, you know, uh, normal, for people to be recommended or even embark upon that path. It doesn't mean that it will always work if you don't have your obstacles addressed. So you mean years ago, if you were over 45, you wouldn't have been offered a donor egg? You would have no, been too, too old? No, it was just not available. Oh, I didn't it was know just, that. You know, like say 10 years, donor egg really only just started, you know, IVF started in about 70 uh, 78 was the first IVF cycle um, and donor egg, the first donor egg cycle happened around 83, 1983, but it didn't become commercially available until many, many years after that, certainly not as commonly commercially available, right? And so that's why I'm saying in the last five to ten and geographically restricted. Oh, I right? thought you were relating it to age. I thought you were saying if you were above like 45, you wouldn't have been offered one. No, because I mean, women these days, you know, how do you think women on the news, how do you think women at 78, you know, years of age have a baby? Exactly. It's certainly not the conception or their own age. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is an absolute, right? I mean, we've had patients through our clinic at 56, 54, 53, you know, go ahead and do donor egg to conceive and have a baby. That's a very personal decision, right? And age will have babies. And whether they will do it or not do it, that's a very personal decision. The technology is now there that it's a possibility if you choose that that's what you want. It doesn't mean that just because you're going to do a donor egg cycle that you're going to have a baby because, again, if your obstacles are not addressed, if there are things that are not, uh, you know, put in place in order to optimize your chances of conception, immunological uh, factors also very much need to take, be taken into consideration when it comes to donor eggs and donor egg cycles. But those are all things that we address with our patients in our clinic and obviously most um, clinics who offer this kind of service will obviously have to address. So it's possible, right? With your own eggs, it becomes more difficult after, say, 45, 46, 47. Again, not impossible, but very, very, very diminished chance. Is, is it possible to delay menopause naturally? Oh, that is such a good question. You know, the answer to this question in five years or 10 years from now is probably going to, to be yes. Okay. And that's through stem cell research and lots of... Oh, of that was going to be my next question. <laughs> What's your view? I've been researching stem cell. Yeah, so lots of other different types of technologies. It will very likely, you know, like, like I was saying, five to 10 years before now, donor egg technology was, you know, very, very much, well, available but still inaccessible geographically in many places around the world, whereas now it's just really very common. Um, I think that in five to 10 years, probably a little bit more, but definitely 10 years from now, we're going to be seeing a very different conversation in terms of egg, egg quality um, and the ability of women to extend their fertility longer right um as opposed to what happens now which is women in their 30s or late 30s being offered egg freezing which is a notor notoriously um ineffective really you know treatment because most people who have their eggs frozen will never actually have a baby because that was gonna be one of, sorry why would they not have a baby 
because the eggs don't thaw very well. Um, if they're frozen by vitrification, you know, there's this very, it's, it's the, the success rate of a, of a donut egg cycle is very, very, I beg your pardon, of a frozen egg cycle, uh, which is just the egg being frozen, not an embryo, is very, very, very low. And so, and especially depending on how, Old, how much older a woman may have been when she froze her own eggs uh, is also going to impact. So, for example, a woman in her early 20s might have a much better chance and typically this type of procedure is offered to women who have cancer and need to go ahead and, you know, do chemotherapy, which is going to render them sterile and they freeze their eggs or their ovaries in order to be able to preserve the chance of having a baby later in life. Those procedures, uh, because of the sheer amount of tissue that gets garnered, you know, harnessed for that purpose, uh, often, you know, it's it it becomes more likely for it to work, and also the the younger age of the patient makes it more likely for it to work. Um, however. When a woman hits her 30s, 35, you know, plus, it becomes an impractical uh, option to to make to be effective in terms of actually taking home a baby from those frozen eggs. So you might still even freeze your eggs, but it doesn't mean that you're going to take the baby from that procedure. Okay. Thank you. I came across you online, Gabby, via your natural fertility program. Will you explain a little bit more about this? Yeah, sure. Um, there are various programs that we run. Uh, there is a, an educational event that we run for people who have been trying to conceive or want to optimize their chances of conception called the Fertility Challenge. And in the Fertility Challenge, I we educate. It's an education educational program on mass. So really, any, anywhere between five to ten thousand people at once. We've taken many, many thousands of people through that. But we also have our clinic in-house program, which is fully customized for patients who really know that there is an issue that they want to address or they have a history that needs to be looked at. And that's the Natural Fertility Breakthrough Program, which really supports couples who are at any stage of, uh, of their conception journey, but again, who have had problems conceiving, right? And whether they're going through IVF or any other types of treatments as well, and obviously we're optimizing those chances or whether they're trying to conceive naturally. So those are the, the various options to engage with our clinic. Okay. I've, um, I started, I think it was a 12 day pro. I can't remember how many days it was. I didn't actually finish it, but I did start it. And it's very, very intense um, in terms of kind of diet, chemical exposure. Can you just talk briefly about the components and, and the changes that people would have to make to the lifestyle in order to embark on the program? Yeah, sure. I mean, look, you know, we obviously we hold our patients' hands through that process, you know, and um, in in the fertility challenges, which is what you're talking about, uh, where we're educating people on the things that they can do and optimize to increase their chances of taking home a healthy baby, we are we give the education. And we leave it to you to implement. And that's where sometimes people get a little bit stuck because they're like, okay, this feels a little bit overwhelming. This feels like, well, there's a lot of things to be done. And that's true. Um, And some of those changes, there will be anything from uh, decreasing your chemical exposure in your home to decreasing your chemical exposure in your food to having, um, you know, better quality and and healthier foods, you know, like, 
about the concept of um, one to three steps from field to table uh, in terms of food. So, for example, if you have one step, let's say corn on a cob is one step from field to table, you can recognize that food, right? You can look at it and you can go, yep, okay, this is a corn on a cob. The second that you take those kernels off and you process it in some way, that's uh, two steps from field to plate. And then, of course, the second that you take that and you process it even further and you make it into, uh, a, you know, put it into a dish, it's a, it's a third step. And then a fourth step would be a tortilla chip, for example, or a twisty, right, which says it's made out of corn, but gosh, there's no way that you can recognize that food when you look at the product that it's created. So I like to make sure my patients stay within that one to two steps from field to table when it comes to food because that will make a huge difference in you know the body's ability to process things and it also decreases the amount of chemicals and chemical exposure that a couple will have to other chemicals, food, food additives and artificial sweeteners and this and that and whatever else that you know, is found in food products these days. So, you know, food is going to be an important part. Obviously, looking at the science and looking at testing, understanding one's biochemical makeup, genetic makeup, you know, all of these things are, are factors that we take into consideration when it comes to treatment of a couple who is in this situation. So, you know, there are many different steps, you know, ensuring that we address um, stress levels and exercise and, you know, managing emotions through the process because it can be, let's be honest, it can be an overwhelming process just the fact that we're trying to conceive without success. So all of those factors need to be taken into consideration. We look at all of them combined when we are treating a couple going through our program. Thank you. Uh, Gabby, you have quite strong views on supplementation. Um, I have spent, personally spent crazy amounts of money on this, as I'm sure lots of other people have. Most of it has been self-prescribed through doing my own research online. What is your view on this? Uh, look, it's a great question, and uh, and you, you already know my very harsh answer to this one. <laughs> and that is that I highly, highly object to self-prescription, right? And the reason is that many people spend not only thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on self-prescription of things that are never going to be relevant to them or actually are playing wrong for them, right? And so what happens is that, you know, we, we do these things thinking that we're helping ourselves. We go and read this article and it tells us, you know, you should take maca. The other one tells us that we should not take folic acid. The other one says that, you know, B, B1 is what we need to take. The other one says Amazonia monkey pee for breakfast, lunch and dinner. <laughs> you know, and so we become very overwhelmed, but at the same time, there is a place and a point where you just shut down. You just go, okay, look, I think I'm doing the best that I can. Let me just forget about everything else. So we spend time and invest money and energy and focus in, an, in, in a strategy that actually doesn't progress us or take us any further forward right and often is costing us time and the ability to have a baby in the first place right so that's the reason as to why I never recommend self-prescription or just kind of you know getting advice over the counter or you know buying supplements from a from a website that recommend you know, writes articles about you should take these things here we, we bought we, you can buy it from us because ultimately those things are never going to be a full strategy for a couple who is in the situation that we find what, our patient. What do you recommend um, an individual do, uh, a woman or a couple do, um, 
in terms of like the supplementation, is there any, is there a series of tests that they need to be having taken, a consultation with a functional medicine practitioner? I think a consultation with a functional medicine practitioner is definitely going to be a, a, a first start. I mean, obviously, in our practice, we do offer this service. Um, and Your practice you know, is based in Sydney? We actually treat patients all over the world via telemedicine, mm-hmm. right? So we also do provide this service for couples literally in over 100 countries right now. But, you know, the reality is that you can find someone around the corner from you if they have the expertise that's required. And that's what I often find people actually lack, especially in regional areas or, you know, in in rural, more rural areas as well. They don't have that expertise. And even in big cities, you know, sometimes there is so much noise in the marketplace that you end up actually not quite getting what you need in terms of the expertise because you simply just have so much choice. So really doing your homework on the results of the person who's going to be advising you is really what I recommend in terms of finding someone that can help and support. Because what happens is that the opposite does not give you the the, the closest and fastest possible path to baby, right? And it can often take away from the chance of having a baby to begin with. It's that whole conversation that we were having, you know, about the fact that if you're doing this and you think that this is the right strategy and you spend a whole lot of time and energy and effort here, but actually it's not, you will shut off the things that could actually help in lieu of things that never will. They will never quite get you to where you need to be. It might get you further than what you are, but it's not actually designed to get you to where you want to go. So that's the challenge that I find with self-prescription and you know the, the biggest mistake that most couples make. They think they're doing all the right things, but actually they're not. Yeah, that's interesting. I know I've been given so many different types of advice um, yeah. over, over the years. Um, yeah. And that's how I always recommend, you know, find, find someone who's going to support you by looking at what do their results demonstrate, right? Do they have a proven track record? Like do they actually do what it is that they're saying that they do and do they have other, you know, thousands ideally of other people who have done it and have got a very similar result, and that's really the way to choose, you know, someone who to support you because that's how you know that, okay, yes, this is, you know, this is solid advice as opposed to, you know, you might get a fertility coach that basically has decided that they're going to do that, advising you, you know, that they, they want to focus on, say, mental, you know, the stress reduction side of things, but then they decide that they're going to also read those articles that are online and, and advise you on supplementation that you should be taking. Not a great strategy. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. I'm conscious of time. I'd just like to ask you a couple more questions. Um, So many questions that I would love to ask you, um, but I know we are really, really limited in time. So what is your view on like meditation? Um, I do a lot of um, the Joe Dispenza stuff. I mentioned that earlier, like quantum healing. And um, is that something that you would advise your patients to do? And would you say this is part of the holistic program? Absolutely. And in fact, as part of the Natural Fertility Breakthrough Program for the patients in our clinic, it is absolutely a part of the program. You know, we have a lot of emotional support. We have clinical psychologists and, you know, 
counsellors and practitioners who basically support the mindset side of things for, for our patients for sure because it's such an important part of the process. You know, also dealing with addictions and dealing with stress and dealing with, you know, all of those things are going to be part of a, a full and remarkable solution to patients, right? And so we really do focus on our patients in, in all of the areas that they need to be met on. Do you think it's possible to heal the body, like heal the ovaries through your mind? I don't think solely on its own, no, because you see the body requires, the body is still very much made out of matter, right? And so what happens is you can, I, I believe everything starts in the mind. So let's let's put it this way. I can envision the house of my dreams. I can hire an architect to project it and design it. I can you know, talk to all of the consultants that are going to help me make sure that the place where I want to build it and how I want it built is going to be compliant and conducive to the best possible outcome. But at the end of the day, I still need those building materials. I can't build the house if I don't have the cement, if I don't have the, the sand, if I don't have the water, if I don't have, you see, I need those building materials. Even though my mind is clear and has actually led me to the point where I know where I need to place that pillar, where I know where, you know, where I know that the contractor that I'm hired knows what it is that needs to be done. And that's essentially what happens, you know, in our own body is that I don't need to know where that pillar is going to go because that's not my job, right? That's the job of the contractor that I've hired to build the place. And that is based on an instruction from the architect, from the consultants, from, you know, all the people who basically are involved in making sure that my dream home is a reality that I can step into. But it doesn't happen by me just envisioning it in my mind and getting it projected down on paper, right? There are other steps and other things that need to happen in order for that to happen. And the building materials are still going to be required no matter what. Thank you. Gabby, last question. The process of fertility, it's so challenging emotionally and financially for couples. Um, what is the best piece of advice that you could give someone struggling to conceive? That is a very, you know, often it's actually put into perspective what is expensive. And I'll say this for this reason. You know, I often get people who basically will not work to optimize everything that they can who will go and do failed cycle after failed cycle and when it comes to looking at what can really help they say it's expensive right and it's like okay well what is it that you're looking for are you looking for a result or are you looking for basically continuing to do the same and expect a different result and I think that's the biggest thing it's actually you know the biggest piece of advice is that don't keep going and running the same strategy that is not giving you the result and spending money and time and energy in doing that without really fully looking at every aspect that could be of assistance. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Gavi, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I'd like to thank you for the incredible work that you do and and wish you and your patients continued success in the journey. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me, Zoe. Really appreciate it.